week in racing. It's time to recap it. And who better to do it than Michael New Magic? Two bros slash pros who cover the highs and lows of racing around the globe on every one of their shows. Real fans look forward to these guys in their last thoughts because they know they're not talking out of their royal ascot. What they say makes sense. So ladies and gents, sit back and relax as Blinkers Off presents The Magic Mike Show. Where you hear the experts speak. The Magic Mike Show. Tune into the show every week. The Magic Mike Show. You can trust the show is the bomb because it's being brought to you by RacingDudes.com. What's up, everybody? I'm Magic. And I'm Mike. And this is The Magic Mike Show, episode 382, Mr. Samich. Happy birthday, Magic Huzzah! Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I was uh, I was going to have a whip sound effect ready because we're at Monmouth Park. It's a birthday present for me is we get to go to Monmouth Park for this weekend after all. So, yay! Oh, I'm just happy that they love whips there again. Uh, before we get started, two unique 101s today. It's your birthday. We have a show, right? Yep. It is also the only day all year that talking out of your Royal Ascots makes any sense because Royal Ascots running today. <laughs> You're right. That did make a lot of sense. Uh and sorry, uh, you know, Stradivarius seen there winning the 2020 Gold Cup. Didn't get it done this year, but it was an exciting race. I had actually texted Aaron and a couple other people beforehand that I thought the Aiden O'Brien horse was the most dangerous. And I also thought Mojo Man was most likely to hit the board. That horse loves to run second. Somehow squeaked his way in there in between Kiprios and Stradivarius. Uh, listen, people say that the ride wasn't great on Stradivarius, Mike. I didn't think he was beating Aiden's horse regardless, but it was an exciting race, an exciting finish. And if that's the last time we see Strad, it's been a hell of a career. I would take shots for the Kiprios jockey over at, and I don't remember who wrote him. I think it might have been Ryan Moore. Over Ryan at, Ryan, yeah. over at taking shots at Detorian on Stradivarius. When you go back and you watch the race, Kiprios and Moore does he doesn't ask him and doesn't ask him and doesn't ask him. And the main reason is because Stradivarius is right to his inside. He was keeping him covered up as long as he possibly could. Ascot has a notoriously short stretch, and he was able to take advantage of that. Stradivarius was was coming. But you just, it's hard to make up that type of ground. They came home in sub 12 seconds with final furlong in a two and a half mile race. Ridiculous. That's wild. It's just wild. And so when you, you pin someone in, you come home that fast. It is so tough. I mean, the Tory had a worse day on, on the other horses he ran. I mean, he ran second. He did a great job to try and weave like the eight horse, I can't remember his name right now, through. Sock, I think it was. Um, and just came up short for the queen in one race and then loses on a two to five shot in the next. Uh, if you watch the preview, you had the winner of that one. Um, but he had a rough day. I mean, if you're having a bad day, go watch Frankie DeTore's day over at Ascot and realize your day's a little better than his right now. I saw all the off-of-the-head jokes coming out there, too. If you want more Royal Ascot previews, too, Mike did have uh, – he's been doing the previews for the days in – like you said, he had the the horse that beat the the Queen's horse uh, in the last race there. So congrats to you. That was a great price to catch. Um, the Ascot race, if you're watching this live, thanks for joining us. Give us a like, a thumbs up, appreciate it. But if you're watching on YouTube, as soon as this ends, I've got it set. So this live show translates directly into the premiere of Mike Sandwich's Royal Ascot. So you got your Monmouth. You got, you're here for Monmouth. Stay for Royal Ascot tomorrow. It's a beautiful thing. There you go. Go from go from the, the, the Jersey Shore shorts to the t tails and top hats, baby. Um, it, interesting thing tomorrow. So everyone's talking about Ired Ortiz and, and him yep. getting suspended pretty much immediately. I mean, Ired Ortiz had a worse day over there than Frank Dettori did, like just completely missing the break on Golden Pal. And then two rides into his Royal Ascot career here, getting five days suspension for something he does at Belmont every other race. So it's kind of incredible to see how his, his day went. Tomorrow you've got two Phillies going. I believe it's in the coronation. One of them ridden by uh, Jose Ortiz. The other by, by I think it's William Buick. I kind of like taking, yeah, Spinderella's being ridden by William Buick. 
kind of love the fact you have a European jockey on a U.S. horse that has speed in that type of spot. So I, I'm more on the Spinderella train than the Pizza Bianca train. And I think that the European jockey is actually a pretty good thing when you see how Rosario did and you see how Irad did. Like it, they both kind of had some issues with their rides. You want to know the course? William Buick's got a ton of experience over it. Uh, yeah, William Buick is uh, is a great one. He is so great. That's why Charlie Appleby loves to use him. Uh, I love – everybody thinks, you know, Aiden O'Brien's got the record for the most Ascot wins, right? He's up to 78, 79, something like that. I don't know where he's at after today. But uh, he and Ryan Moore get all the headlines. But Appleby and Buick, man, you can usually catch them at a little bit better of a price too because they don't have quite that household name, which is ridiculous because it's Coolmore versus Godolphin. Neither one of them should ever be a price. And yet there's some races tomorrow at Royal Ascot that you talk about in the preview, Mike, where you're getting a huge prices on some uh, Aiden O'Brien horses. Yeah, I think I mentioned a fifty-to-one shot tomorrow in one of the one of the previews. Um, so uh-huh. they, you can you can find some price, especially these massive fields. It makes it a lot easier to go go, go price hunting if you want. I think mean, the craziest thing about Ascot today, I think there was a Tory Ryan more exactly that paid four hundred dollars. Like that's the yeah. that's the equivalent of like Irad and Jose running exactly at Belmont paying four hundred dollars. It's just not something you generally see. Uh, so crazy to see that over there. It's one of the reasons why I think it's a ton of fun to play it for cheap and just play some bombs and see if you can get lucky. Because if you get one home, and there's a fifteen thousand dollar try today. You can get one race home for the meet. You're up if, you, if you're able to play it cheap. I'm mad that I didn't play this. I, I told myself I wasn't going to play the Gold Cup because I was like, I, I can't do that with, with Stradivarius in there. I th- was, thought I was too worried and that he was going to lose. I should have played it. I had had that exact in trifecta. But listen, if you actually do want to play it, check out Mike's previews for that. If you want to play Monmouth, we have you covered because Saturday, June 18th, is Haskell Day preview. It's a Haskell preview day. So all of the races, the stakes races uh, on Saturday's card are going to be leading to the Haskell Stakes Day including, of course, the Haskell Stakes. So, Mike, uh, let's not waste any time. I do have a little bit of a cold, so I apologize for the, uh, the issues here. But we're going to get through it, buddy. Right is up. Mike, before we get going, got a great question in the chat from Katie Page. Where's the best place to look for free speed figures for Royal Ascot? I will say they're not free. DRF has the time form figures in there, so that's what I use. What about you? I've been using DRF. If you Google Ascot, I think it's Brisnet, that you can find them for free. Um, but if you Google Ascot PPs or Ascot free PPs, I think there's a Brisnet one that comes up that I've used the past two years when I didn't like what uh, DRF had to offer. I'm using DRFs this year because they have – I'm used to I'm used to using DRF for international horses, so for me it's kind of nice that I get my I get some comfort zone there because it's everything that I normally look at and be able to check out there. One thing I would say when you're handicapping Ascot, don't focus on final time. These tracks are wildly different. Horses yes. that run it well at Ascot, it's just like running well at Keeneland or Saratoga. There definitely are horses for the course, so make sure you look at that, and then make sure you look at who the jockey is because a lot of times if a top jockey is consistently riding a horse that tells you something over there and make sure you look at how much the races were worth because they fluctuate much more wildly over there. So look at the horse's career earnings as well. I think all those are important aspects that people don't always look at when they're looking handicapping Ascot. If you are uh, watching us on YouTube, uh, check the live chat or if you're watching the replay, check the chat. I've got the uh, link here that you can click on. I've got it on the screen, but it's not going to work. But if you go to the chat, uh, it'll work right there. And yes, Baid, pretty damn awesome. All right, Mike. First leg of the All-Stakes pick four at Monmouth Park on Saturday, June 18th, race 11. By the way, 14 races on this card. Race 11 is the grade three Eatontown for eight. Phillies and Mares four end up going a mile and a 16th on the turf. This is the local prep for the grade three matchmaker stakes on July 23rd. 
three trainers here. Each showed up with two horses. Uh, Chad Brown's got two. Mike Stidham's got two. Sugar's got two. He won this race for the first time last year with the defending champion, Vigilante's Way. Where'd you go on top? Uh, we're going back to back, baby. Give me Vigilante's Way. I, I love this spot for this horse. It, it makes a ton of sense. We're getting second off the layoff as a five-year-old, so it's a logical improvement angle. Was good enough to do this last year. Loves the course. Two for four with two seconds as well. So first or second, all four efforts here over the Monmouth turf. This is not exactly the toughest field ever. This is also kind of the B team from Chad Brown with, with Lemonista and, and uh, Fluffy Sox. So I'm not going to use either of those and see if we can kind of get around them and get a little bit more of a price here. But to me, the setup is right for Vigilante's way. He wants to come from off of it. Loves the course. Paco, I don't mind. At, at Monmouth, he understands the course better than a lot of the jockeys that are coming and shipping in here. And I think that is an aspect of it as well. So I'm going to start things this thing, this thing off with the one horse Vigilante's way. I went back and watched the last race. I agree with you, by the way. This is also my top pick. That last race, uh, that was the kind of the prep for this one. Um, she had to hit the brakes pretty hard right when she was getting going because Porque No was starting to fade right in front of her. And Paco literally, you know, if Paco hits the brakes, he that means there literally wasn't even like half an inch of room somewhere. So um, the fact that she still re-rallied and almost caught Whimsical Muse, I thought was pretty damn impressive. So... I'm with you. I like that horse. Um, I, I went too deep here. The other one I use is the other seven to two choice, Princess Grace, the six horse. You gotta love a horse who's five for eight lifetime on turf. Three of those are in graded stakes, but um, if you look at, she wins two straight to start her career, and then seven straight races all in graded stakes, not ungraded stakes, graded stakes company uh, facing some really great horses. The only uh, she lost to Regal Glory in the Grade One Matriarch, and that was a really great effort. We've seen, seen how Regal Glory has still come back this year, but. I guess if you looked at this, your major question mark could be the layoff. But Mike Stidham, if you look at horses for him when they're coming back from this kind of a layoff and they're going straight into graded stakes races, he's done it five times. Two of those were winners. If you ignore the fact that Roadster did that twice, he's two for three. And the one time he lost, it came by half light. So aside from Roadster, he's able to bring the horses back and do this, including with Princess Grace, which he did last July at uh, Park. So I'm just going to go too deep and go one six here. So Princess Grace is a third in for me. Uh, one thing that you didn't mention, she won her, her maiden score and won first off the layoff last year as well. So you've seen her not, not only did him do it well, but she specifically has won twice in seasonal debuts. So that gives me even more confidence. You're going to see her fire a big shot. I am handicapping this race in a lot of ways just around pace. I don't think there's a ton of it in this spot. And because of that, I think it sets up really well for Alms, the four, and the six, Princess Grace, who I think are both going to be forwardly placed and the most talented of the forwardly placed horses. So I'm going to use the one Vigilante's way. I'm going to use the six for all the reasons that you mentioned. And then the four, Alms, makes my ticket as well. This is first off the layoff. This is the, uh, this is the other Stidham, if you will, which makes me believe that you're not going to see them press each other very much on the pace. I think Alms is a little bit faster and gets out front. I think Princess Grace is going to sit right in behind. Um, and if you go back and you look at some of these efforts, I mean, you mentioned Real Regal Glory for, for Princess Grace. Regal Glory, three back. Alms got, got beat by about two and a half lengths, but set the pace and just got clipped there. That was a very good effort. The next time out in the Honey Fox faces in Italian, Wakanaka, we know about them, comes back and is able, faces Plum Ali and faces technical analysis in the next one out. Now we're getting a little bit of a break. We're coming back here. This is a spot where I think we make the lead. And look, this is one of those sequences where I'm going to try and fade a couple favorites. And I feel like Lemonista and Fluffy Sox aren't going to have the pace to chase into. I want to be closer to the lead, specifically here at Monmouth, because speed plays well over this turf course. So I'm going to try and fade both the Browns, and I, I would expect that they're going to be the first and the second choice in this race. Uh, 
Alms was my third choice. I was I was back and forth and ultimately left her off. I think she's going to end up being – I think if you were playing like exact to trifecta, this is a great horse to use. I don't think she's going to be good enough to hold off both the one and the six. But Stidham has two in here, and the two most forwardly placed horses on paper are the two Stidham horses. So it is a little dangerous if you like – if you got room to, to spare um, – also, by the way, Jersey Joe Bravo, former champion jockey at Monmouth Park, is back this weekend, and he's on alms, and that's not something to take lightly as well. Uh, let's talk about the two Chad Brown horses since we covered the ones that we're using. Lamista and Fluffy Socks were both chucking two Chad Brown horses in a turf-graded stakes race when he's been, well, mostly red hot. Uh, Fluffy Socks, uh, a good second to Bleecker Street, and as Chris says, probably going to go off six to five or so here. Uh, I think for me personally, both the brown horses will be bet way too much for what their actual value is in this race. Yeah, that kind of hit the nail on the head for me. I mean, you look at you look at um, you look at the six horse Lamista. There's one race that wins that, and that's the the Grade Three Begay. That is a long time ago, and she wasn't even able to win that race. She she was lost to Harvey's Little Goyle. Other than that, she would need to basically improve off of her best effort. That would probably be the Beverly D, where she runs third. So I hasn't won in America yet. Going to be a short price for me. Not that interested. Fluffy socks. I get it if you want to play this horse. Um, you, you can point to a couple races on the page. You're getting third off a layoff here as a four-year-old. Obviously, Bleaker Street flattered the crap out of that last effort. So totally understand it if you want to go that direction. But I agree with you. I think you're just going to get way over bet horses because it's Chad Brown because you're at Monmouth. And again, I don't see the pace being that fast. And both of these are coming from off of it. So I think that they're going to be be behind the eight ball and be short prices, and I just don't want that combination. I'm willing to, to lose my ticket if, if Chad Brown's able to win this race. We talk about this before, ironically, with horses like Bleecker Street, um, where they go. Uh, we talk about with Chad Brown, where his great ones, you can tell where he sends them, Belmont, Saratoga, Gulfstream for their debut. When he sends them to Monmouth and Meadowlands, it's usually a sign he doesn't think that highly of them. Now, again, Bleecker Street's kind of the outlier, but if you look at – where he sent the horses this week as opposed to last week when it was Belmont Stakes Racing Festival. Big difference here, right? And I would say that this race came up a little harder than Chad Brown is used to seeing when he throws his B squad down the road to Monmouth. You've got Princess Grace in here. You've got Vigilante's Way in here. You've got Alms in here. All should, and the other horses, too, that you can even talk about. You know, Porque, no, I don't think it'll go gate to wire, but you know, we didn't think Tribuvin was going to do it, and then Channel Maker blew the start, and off he goes. So uh, things happen there. J by the way, before we move on, uh, Jason, quick thanks to Mike for the Ascot previews. Great call on Claymore, Jason. Happy you were able to cash on that. Be back for tomorrow, right after this. Stick right around. after this. <laughs> Which means we also have to be done before 3 p.m. Or, or 6 p.m. Eastern, Mike. So we're on the clock here. Let's move on. Second leg of the All Stakes Pick 4 at Monmouth on Saturday, June 18th. Race 12 is the Pegasus Stakes. And this is the main local prep for the Grade 1 Haskell on July 23rd. We've got nine three-year-olds in this race going to mile and the 16th on the dirt. Who's your top pick? Oh, I'm going to go to the two-horse in this spot. So, look, when I looked at this race, I kind of got to the point where I was just like, I think homebrew is the best horse. I, and I don't love the fact that we're using him at three to one. I was thinking this horse was probably going to end up. I think the Preakness was originally the big talk around it, that we're going to see homebrew to the Preakness. Brad Cox decided not to send that horse here. There's an abundance of speed in this spot. I think that homebrew is going to be able to sit right off of it. And so I think he's got the biggest shot to win. Put him on top at three to one. Uh, I'm with you. I went too deep here. Uh, sorry, I have a two tickets. I didn't say that first time. I have a 50 center and a, a $2 ticket and my... Uh, the first leg, the 50 cent or $2 are the same. Here, I have Homebrew singled in my $2 ticket. Uh, he won last out off the bench against Kuchar. That horse ended up winning his race next out, and there was actually talk that he was going to go to the Belmont off of that win. He didn't end up doing it, but 
you look at homebrew's form, he's only got one bad race on it, and it was a Smarty Jones, and maybe it was a sloppy hated. I think something actually just went wrong with the horse because then he misses a bunch of time. He just was getting going, misses a bunch of time, but then they bring him back in the Oak Lawn, which is a win in urine for the Preakness. They didn't take advantage of it, but you're right. They did consider the Preakness with him. Uh, he won it off the bench, long layoff, had a wide trip through both turns at Oak Lawn. That's not usually a great thing, uh, but he's reportedly been targeting this and the Haskell, like this path kind of ever since they decided the Preakness might be too much for him. So if you assume progression at this point, I, this horse to me is very logical here and is why I singled him. Yeah, you talk about Gary Mary West all the time. You love that those those connections. They generally place their horses very well. When they keep a horse, generally that means it's pretty good, and they bred this horse and decided to keep it. Um, the fact that they didn't go to the Preakness, but they want to go to the Haskell tells you how much talent they believe this horse has, and so I, I think it makes a ton of sense. Uh, electability obviously is a logical horse here at 9-5 to five out of the Chad Brown barn. But I think homebrew is kind of a better version of electability. And I, I think electability also needs to be more forwardly placed to be able to win. And I mentioned there's a lot of speed in here. I mean, you're going to see Cyber Viking go. He's, he's up on the pace at six furlongs. So you're going to have a ton of pace pressure there. Electability is going to go. Um, you've got Dash Attack, who's going to be more forwardly placed. Probably not right on it, but more forwardly placed. So I, I think you're going to have enough speed up there to kind of push it early and set up well for homebrew. I'm actually going to spread in this spot because I like some prices. Um, so my second horse is actually Mr. Jefferson. Uh, this is the, the three horse who's sitting on the board at six to one. You go back and you look at that last race at Pimlico. He had a little bit of trouble down the stretch. He probably wasn't going to cast, catch Ethereal Road but or Ethereal Road, but he was going to get closer than, than where he ended up finishing. That was second off the layout for him. I think he wants um, – I think he, he likes this mile in the 16th distance. He's one for two with that third as well. And if you go back to the, the the race before that at Laurel, Joe wins that race, come back, comes back and wins his next. Uh, if we can revert back to that effort and we get the pace set up in front, I think Mr. Jefferson at a decent price here at six to one is a, is a logical use. After that, I'm going to go to the eight horse who is 12 to one in Cook's Creek for a Jeremiah, Jeremiah uh, O'Dwyer. This for me is one of those spots where it's a – if you go back to this horse and you look at what he did over the fall, so he wins a race at Delaware, comes back to Belmont, runs second to Rockefeller, comes back in the Jerome, is the favorite in the Jerome, ends up running third there, uh, and then comes back to the Withers and, and gets beat pretty good. He was wide in both those turns on the Withers. I don't think this horse necessarily wants the slop, even though it looks like he should. And that's why I'm excusing those last two efforts or being not as good as I would have expected. I think this race sets up well for him. Again, if you look at that mile race, sitting in fourth and able to come up, the next race at Belmont, going a mile, sitting in fifth, being able to make a move, 12 to 1, second off the layoff, I'm willing to take a little bit of a shot. I uh, didn't use either of those horses uh, for my uh, 50 cent ticket. Um, I did consider Mr. Jefferson a little bit. Joe did win that uh, turf race on Preakness Day, um, which was pretty fun. But it was a turf race. Uh, it's a good horse on both surfaces. But um, as far as Cook Creek goes, uh, uh, you gotta like the fact that Velasquez picks it up and O'Dwyer uh, before this year was really, I don't know why he's three for 62. He's usually a better trainer than that. Um, I, I couldn't get to this horse just because I couldn't find this. You can point back to races when he was at Delaware Park and say that could do it. Or when he lost to Corvassier and Rockefeller, that's a race. I'm like, I, can, I couldn't do those. Those were also one turn races. His two times going two turns total dog shit so i'm gonna pass on him at least you're getting a price on dog shit um your other horse that you're using i am very surprised about before we get to it my other 50 cent ticket i'm going to the rail with cyber viking and respectfully i disagree with you i actually think there isn't that much speed 
And I think that this is the horse that's going to set it. You got, you mentioned it. This is a six furlong pressing horse who has a breed, a pedigree that is screaming six and a half, seven furlongs. This horse would love, uh, he does love Gulfstream Park. You look at his form there. He loves those dirt sprints down there. Um, but this horse also, I think, is the only one that's going to want to really go to the lead. I think he's a hell of a lot faster than the others. If he can catch a breather, and that's a big if, he's got a chance to go gate to wire here. Um, if you scratch off the Pasco when he broke terribly, broke very slowly and was never involved with it, he's been in the exact all eight of his career starts. He should actually have five wins in three seconds, but he did get disqualified and placed second in one of those spots. Uh, if you look at his buyers, they've been slow. Again, scratch off the Pasco, very slowly, steadily improving along the way. His 85 last out is third highest in this field. Uh, Mr. Jefferson and Electability both have tops with 87, but you could say this is a class test compared to what he's been facing, but look at this field. This is really not a classy field. Yeah, you could say this is a class it's test. A class te I mean, the, the, who is it a class test? It's a class test because you're going back up to a stakes race. But that's it. Like, go, who, um, who in here is classy that you would actually say? Going, dash, going, dash. Back, up, going back up to a stakes race. Well, his only stakes race was the Pasco, where he got beat by seven because lengths. Did you not listen to a damn word I said? He broke. Watch the replay. Watch five seconds into that race and tell me how he had a chance in hell when Chantel just sat there and let him shit his pants coming out of the gate well, i mean you, you're knocking cook's creek for can't go two turns and you're playing cyber biking that to me is wild because he's, he's lone speed because i think he is lone speed i don't i think electability is going to go with him i, I think electability is going to try and be out front and the two of them are going to go out there and cook them a little cook each other a little bit which would be um, suicide by the way if manny franco's dumb enough to do that that's suicide well i wouldn't be shocked <laughs> Put it that way. <laughs> He's like, Tribune, I did it. I did it. I can do it again. No, man. I've seen no, it no, before. Um, <laughs> that's true. If, if, if Cyber Viking blows the brake. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm going to use a seven dash attack here. This is just one where I like the class he's been keeping. I realize the class he's been keeping is not wonderful. But as Magic made the point, this isn't a wonderful field. No. Yeah, It is a step up from post-champion meet Gulfstream Park 50K optional allowances. But it is not a wonderful field. The one horse in here, and someone asked in the chat, hey, uh, you know, is anyone really going to be able to come in here and face Jack Christopher and Taylor who are positioning for the Haskell? Honestly, Homebrew is the only horse I think that we both agree has a chance to even compete in that race based on what he could do. I guess you could say electability if he takes a monster step forward and somehow he's a piece here for Chad Brown. But I would say Homebrew is really the only horse from this field that has a chance to hit the board in the Haskell. Um, but I'm going to take Dash Attack, who I think has been running against better than what's in here, if Homebrew and electability turn out not to be the goods. So go ahead. Well, I, look, if you take out homebrew and electability, let's say they suck. Dash attacks the next best source in this race. From a class. If they're running it in the slop, Mike, it's supposed to be 91 and sunny. This yeah. horse on slop. Great. This horse on dry. He lost to new Grange at the same exact race at the one race after winning the smarty Jones. He lost to Unoho ethereal road barber. He hasn't been freaking close in any fast dirt race. Why would you use this horse on fast dirt ever? Well, he, he beat Barber road who was one of your picks in the Belmont. Okay. So he in beat, the slop, he beat him he beat in the slop picks, and he ran, in the slop. He, ran, he ran a good race on the fast track behind Barber road. I mean, he was Where? only what four lengths off him. And this is your, this is your Belmont pick magic. He was four lengths off of him, yeah. yeah My well, second Belmont pick, who finished eighth. Yeah, well, I didn't say it was a good pick. I'm By the way, let's let's circle back to that because of the Peter Pan stakes, uh, electability, a big reason I don't like him. Uh, Peter Pan stakes didn't produce too well in the Belmont. Uh, we the people fourth, Golden Glider last of nine. I also really hate electability for the fact that he barely beat long-term, and that's like a 14-start maiden for Pletcher. Um, he barely won that actual claiming race at Aqueduct. I think this horse... 
was going to get way over bet, and I love the fact that we're both trying to beat him because I think this is an extremely vulnerable favorite. I think he hit the nail on the head in the two aqueduct races. I, I think that the Peter Pan, we don't know. I don't think we know how good we the people is yet because I don't think we know if he freaked up front. I don't, but he actually did take some pressure in the Belmont. I He's don't like think he there. I don't think he wanted a mile and a half. So I think I think the the jury is still out on we the people. I, I agree with you. Electability struggled in some aqueduct races against some bad horses. I'm not taking a short price on him facing Homebrew, who I think is a good horse, and facing and without when he's not going to get the lead. Right? I think that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. Penultimate leg of the All Stakes Pick Four at Monmouth on Saturday, June 18th. Race 13. This is the Grade Three Monmouth Stakes. And if you want a full in-depth preview, that's coming later to the website. Uh, you can check that out. But we've got a field of 11, and are going to be racing in here. The three public sector is scratching. Reportedly, going to stay at Belmont for the Grade Three Poker. Uh, so I guess Chad wants to get the exacta with Mason on top in that spot. Um, speaking of Chad Brown, he's won this race the last five years. So do you put all your money on the one horse that's left in here, Sacred Life, or does Rock Emperor Light not make your ticket? <laughs> he made my ticket. This is we just of course talked he did. About, He's Rock Emperor Light. Well, we we also just talked about like the the lack of class in the other one. It ain't much in here either. Okay, <laughs> this, let's be honest. Like compared to who Sacred Life was facing before, and he's this is not my top horse, but compared to who he's facing before. Lumpador comes back, runs well. Two Emmys, Satine, Cavalry Charge even comes back to run well. Colonel Liam, never surprised. Space Traveler, Field Pass. I mean, like, those are all heavy favorites in this race. So I'm not going to say that I, I agree with you. He's Rock Emperor Light, but he's Rock Emperor Light facing a grade three field, not facing a grade one field. So also I, true. he's a properly placed Rock Emperor. How about that? <laughs> I guess Rock Emperor has one grade one, so I can't, can't go after him too much. Um, but I'm going to go with the horse who has no rider right now. I know top. the rider now. Who is it? Well, this is a hat tip to Jared for finding this out. Public sector scratching. Johnny Velasquez doesn't have a mount. He's going to ride the five ever dangerous. John Velasquez and George Weaver on the turf. Are you effing kidding me? Let's go, baby. Yeah, I, he was my top pick before it was John Velasquez. I, I like this horse so much I didn't know the rider and I put it on top. Look, George Weaver, sneaky good job, turf, turf, uh, sneaky good turf trainer. This horse, this spot makes me believe he thinks this horse can absolutely fire a monster effort. That last effort in Sar at Saratoga was very, very, very good. He was he had all kinds of trip trouble down the stretch. This horse is coming back as a kitten's joy as a five-year-old. Kitten's joy get, generally will get older, get better as they get older. I think you can I see do. some logical improvement here. You've got speed. You've got the ability to sit off. You can close. I, I mean, to me, ever ever dangerous is ever dangerous in this spot. I mean, this is, this is a very good place for him to show up. And so I, I have ever dangerous on top. Uh, good to see Jared in the chat too. Um, yeah. Are we all picking the five? Uh, is not my top pick is my second pick, but yes, pretty much. I, I love the five all over the place here. Um, Dennis says, I was, was still wishing for no jock and the five lightweight, uh, true to form with being father's day and everything. Mike, I had a bunch of dad jokes about how like he was going to be a lot lighter than his competition. So, uh, that's my excuse. Dennis, you're not a dad that, that you I was going to say, about, maybe so. Dennis is a dad. <laughs> Dennis, I think we're learning something. I think you're, I think Dennis is learning something about himself, uh, live on air here. Uh, love everything you said about the five, um, Last six starts, two wins, two seconds, two thirds. Remember, he had that huge bomb win at Keeneland on Breeders' Cup Friday when he drew into the stupid stakes because somebody, the whole, I'm not going to get into that again. That still pisses me off. That, 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 stupid, that was like rich strike for the Breeders' Cup when that happened. My top pick, let's go to the rail. Yes, this time at five to one, you got the top local trainer in Kelly Breen. You have the top local rider in Paco Lopez. You have a horse that's six for 12 lifetime on the turf with nine. In the money starts. He has been a little camera shy lately, Mike, but I think we're going to get a great price on him. He 
here, even though public sector is going to get scratched. Uh, he knocked off the five-month layoff last time out with Paco aboard. Uh, if you ignore the fourth place finish last out in the local prep, he, he did show interest in the stretch. Paco's returning. That's a big sign. I think that was mostly just a start to get him back into the game, get going here for this race. He won five straight turf routes last year. Like I, It doesn't matter where he did it at what level. He ended up winning a stakes and then a graded stakes. But to win five straight turf routes protected, that's impressive. Two times Paco was aboard. Like I mentioned, two of those were stakes races. I think this horse is going to get uh, ignored a little bit on the board. I think he's very sneaky in this spot. Yes, this time. Yeah, Chad is crushing it right now. Way to go, guys. Um, I 100% agree that you need to use this horse. I think yes, this time makes a ton of sense oh, here. So I, I, I included yes, this time as well. For all the reasons you did, not going to go into it further. Um, we'll, we'll get to tax in a second. I promise we'll get to tax in a second. We're going to talk about like, tax. I feel like some trainers lost a bet to each other and misentered horses for this race and the next one. So <laughs> maybe they were like doing shots, like you would never enter tax here. Or you wouldn't enter. Like, I can't remember. Uh, what was it? Whoever. Sure, sure Who's in the next one? I know yeah, you wouldn't enter sure spite on the dirt. You wouldn't enter tax on the turf. And then they both hammered, put the entry box home. Um, I, I like the seven horse here, safe conduct a little bit. This is one that I think has a shot at wiring the field. I love that effort at, the, at Belmont, able to hold off 40 under, who is not a bad horse in his own right. $80,000 N3Xs are pretty tough at Belmont, especially in May, especially on the turf. Um, that was about after about a month off, second off the layoff as a four-year-old. Now you're getting third off the layoff. I think this is your speed of the speed, and I'm totally willing to forgive the race before that. It was grade two, and it was a mile and three-eighths. We don't want to go a mile and three-eighths if we're safe conduct, all right? So just draw a line through that. Look at the last race. Assume improvement. I think this horse gets to lead over Ever Dangerous. He probably sits in second or third. If safe conduct gets loose, he can beat this field. Uh, yeah, uh, I think he's definitely a great uh, gate-to-wire threat, especially now that we've lost public sector, right? Not a horse that's uh, a front-runner, but a horse that's usually more forwardly placed. And you take that big threat out, safe conduct's going to get uh, – should get nice, easy running like he did last time with Jose Lescano. You know, you get that nice length-and-a-half lead early, and everybody else in the field's going, shit, shit, shit. Um, also, by the way, the Queen's Plate winner at Woodbine last year, uh, Safe Conduct, the only time in his life that he's been favored is the time he goes for a million-dollar race. <laughs> Gotta love it. Um, he's on my ticket. Those are, so I went 157 for my $2 ticket. For 50 Center, I can't quit Hidden Stash, Mike. One of these times, we're going to get this horse home on this show. One of us has picked this horse uh, three of the last four starts, I believe. Um, and almost got the job done in the opening verse stakes, two back at Churchill Downs going a turf mile. Uh, all four turf route tries after the Derby Trail thing kind of didn't work out last year. All four turf tries in the money. Um, I mentioned missed winning that stakes. By the way, Grace Fable was already a grade three winner. So you missed to a he by a head to a grade three winner at Churchill Downs on Thurby. That's a pretty big deal. And then the turf debut was second to Cheryl Spite, who you just brought up earlier and who we're going to talk about in the yeah, next race here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, clear dirt horse. Um, needs, I, the problem with Hidden Stash and kind of what's good about Safe Conduct, I feel like Hidden Stash needs a lot of pace. And when we start losing pace horses, I'm like, God, this feels like a, like a trifecta horse at this point. But I swear, one of these times, Hidden Stash is going to get home for us in a turf route. Maybe it's going to take Kentucky Downs. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But we're going to get this horse home, Mike. Uh, you, you may hear. I mean, look, the price is right this time. Let's put yes. it that way. Dollar twenty last time, you know, 15 to 1 this time. I like the price much more. Um, uh, 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 probably needs to improve to win the race. Uh, probably doesn't get the speed up front that he needs to be able to get there. So I'm, I'm not as interested in him. All right, let's talk about tax. I can't, I can't do it anymore. Is tax a speed threat here? Are we trying to go gate to wire? Is that the plan? It's gotta uh, be. <laughs> I, like, 
so Arch is 13% on the turf, Giants Causeway in the bottom. There is some turf breeding here. Like, but what the hell are we doing here? Why is tax in this race? Explain it to me, Magic. Well, because if he wasn't, the chat would just talk about Dennis's sex life. So they're talking about Dennis's sex life and tax. Yeah. Uh, why well, is I'm, he... glad, I'm glad there's something for the chat to talk about. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like um, this feels like a Mark Cassie move a little bit, that tax is returning from a very long layoff on turf. Mark Cassie likes to do this with horses from a long break that are dirt horses, is put them on turf because in his eyes, they're, it's a much easier surface for them to get back into racing form and, and get that going again. Um, I looked at him because I was like, well, it's a huge question mark. He's never touched turf. If you look at the breeding, Arch is a 13% turf route sire, slightly above average. The dam won two times on synthetic. You would think that translates to turf. The siblings are 0 for 11 on grass, and that's 0 for 10 routing. And that's all. The 0 for 10 routing was all from one horse. That's still not good because he was at like 5K claiming level in, at Mountaineer and couldn't get it done. So uh, I'm going to pass, but it is an interesting move from Danny Gargan. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is one where like if this started to pick four, pick five, I would say watch the board. And if tax starts getting bet down, I'd be a little more worried about tax. Um, I don't think tax can get an easy lead here. I don't have any issues with the distance, though. I just this spot is just so odd for, for this to be the time after the 16th, 17th month layoff to then come back and try and put this horse on turf. It's just it doesn't. It's just, it's a Kenny McPeak move, right? I just can't figure out what's going on. You're right. It could be a Cassie move where he wants to get him over the grass to kind of get one in him and then go to Saratoga and hit the dirt where he's had success before. But just a weird spot uh, to kind of show back up with this horse after a long layoff. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I still think it. Tune into Blinkers Off later. Uh, actually, listen to the podcast because Jared will have to add it in post, but he'll add the, the slim uh, mention. Uh, all right. We went through pretty much everybody here. Excuse me. Is there anybody that we're not using either of us that because we're pretty much at least one five seven here? Uh, is there anybody else that you're not using that you're worried about? Um, not really. I mean, like I, I heard some love for TD Dance, but no thanks. I mean, last, yeah. like, the best race comes at Canterbury. It's a little large, a little deeper here. So, uh, sorry, I like Canterbury. Just, just saying, best race to Canterbury. Uh, Glen County, I heard gotten getting some love, but that to me is just—it's not the price that I would take. I'd rather take a shot with Hidden Stash. I'd rather take a shot with Tax if I had to than Glen County. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm pretty well covered here. We love Canterbury. Don't worry. We love the full force per race pick five at Canterbury. Just quite the puzzle. With the low takeout, a great place to play. Good place to spend your dollar. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Chris, I think it's, it's, it's one of two things. It's the, it's the Cassie factor. Listen, there's not a lot of speed here and maybe we can steal that one. A uh, TD dance would be, if you love the first off the Cox angle, that is the TD ants angle there. Uh, first time with Jason Barkley. So, uh, speaking of first off the Cox, Dennis, how you doing in there, buddy? <laughs> how you doing out in the chat? Everybody's being, everybody's being a little bit, there you go. Jared's finally, finally apologizing there. That's nice. We're making friends now, Mike, let's move on the, the fourth and final leg of the all stakes pick four. At Monmouth Park on Saturday, June 18th, race 14, the Grade 3 Salvatore Mile. This is the local prep for the Grade 3 Monmouth Cup on Haskell Day. And we get the return of Hot Rod Charlie, the three-horse. Last seen finishing second in the Grade 1 Dubai World Cup. But you got to think, is the Dubai bounce a factor for this horse? What are you going to do with him? Well, we know you're not going to use him because you never use international horses coming back over the States. Right, Magic? It's true. You never use Casa Creed. You never use any of those horses because they're going to all bounce off of it. Right, Magic? <laughs> I will say I did smarten up and use Casa Creed on the ticket that I finalized, not the one that was on the show. Yes, I did. I said I was playing against him because it was a question mark. I didn't say I hated it. I said I'm playing against because of question mark. 
I find it hilarious to be played in this race. So I can't wait to talk about that. I chucked out Hot Rod Charlie. I got no interest in this spot. He's going to be way too short of a price. He's going to be like two to five, maybe one to five. Heavily single with the pick four and the pick five. I'm going to try and beat him here. I'm going to go to the rail with mind control, who I think can take this field gate to wire. So my top, top pick is going to be the one horse on the inside. Really good with seven furlongs. The horse has had success at the mile distance. Um, so I, I am not as concerned about the stretch out, which I think a lot of people would be, but he's two for three at the distance. So I'm not really sure why we're worried about that. He did win the, the parks uh, mile, $200,000 mile, ran his career best buyer in that race. His career best buyer comes at this distance. And there is zero speed outside of him and Hot Rod Charlie. And I don't ever really consider Hot Rod Charlie speed. I consider Hot Rod Charlie stalking speed, pressing speed. He's maybe speed at a mile and eight, but at a mile, I just, this feels like it's too short. This screams prep to me. This screams not fully dialed up. Like I, you're going to get a 70 to 80% Hot Rod Charlie in this race. And you're going to get 100% mind control. I'll take mind control. Uh, I don't hate taking a shot against Hot Rod Charlie. If you wanted to try and beat him at a odds on as an odds-on favorite, this is the time to do it. Right when you have that big question mark coming back uh, from overseas, whether or not he can handle it, uh, he hasn't been asked to do this before. So each horse is different. Uh, Casa Creed worked well for Channel Maker. It might have destroyed him uh, inside a little bit. Uh, listen, my top pick is Hot Rod Charlie. Uh, for my two-dollar ticket, I'm singling him. Or, uh, I I just don't see uh, if he doesn't bounce. This should be just very easy. Like Jared says, you just you ain't it. It's, it should be that easy for him. Um, I did some research. I asked around. He Apparently, he looks good in the morning. He looks very good in the morning at Santa Anita. Um, Doug O'Neill has plenty of experience shipping horses to and from Dubai, so a trainer that I would trust as well as anyone to bring them back and forth and be okay. Uh, Doug O'Neill said it's interesting that he brings Hot Rod Charlie back in a two-turn mile that's a grade three. And you can, why, why this spot? Well, he thought the grade two Stephen Foster going a little longer at Churchill Downs might be too much to ask of him. He said this was a, a perfect place, a much easier field, and yeah, probably than what he'll see in the would have seen in the Foster uh, next weekend. That might be true, but they were targeting the Breeders' Cup Classic. This is how they're bringing him back. Um, I'll talk about my fifty cent ticket. I did go too deep, and we can get to that in a second. But before things go completely off the rails, uh, talk about your old boy Fat Man, who's still making your tickets all these years. Yeah, I can't quit him. I can't quit him, man. He's been good to me. I'm up with Fat Man. Uh, this is this is the hope that we get back to the Fat Man that we saw middle of last year. Uh, you know, this, this horse is three for fourteen at the distance. Has been very very good. At one turn miles at Gulfstream, has had success going two turn mile in the sixteenth at Delaware. Ran well at Monmouth. Uh, last time at going a mile 16th uh, in the great in a great three race. So like I'm going to revert back to that last race was first off a layoff. It was clearly a prep for this. It's a huge step up. So you're not going to run him here unless you think he's actually going to fire. I think fat man has some tactical speed and I will take that five to one price. It's going to float up to 10 to one because hot rod Charlie is going to take so much freaking money in this spot. And I, I think he is the other one of these horses. I mean, I'm not taking helium. I'm not playing Cheryl spite with a freaking turf horse. Like, I, I, the only other logical horse to me outside of mind control and hot rod Charlie is Batman. Uh, I didn't use the one or the seven. I realized I, I kind of skipped over that with mind control. Um, I, to me, I, I think that mind control at this point uh, is going to be – he's either boom or bust. And if he's going to win, great. If he's not, I think he's going to be way off. I'm going to take a shot against him, but uh, you brought up some great points. He's only tried routing twice in his career. The Park Dirt Mile and then the Breeders' Cup Juvenile when he was two – and the start was a mess for him, so you, you know, completely scratch that off. A little bit of an enigma. A bigger enigma is why the hell is the four Cheryl Spite in here, Mike? Why? You don't know how to, why he's in here. Uh, the owner, Charles Fifty, big breeder, 
wants this horse to be a graded stakes winner on dirt because he is a grade one winner turf routing at the Maker's Mark Mile. Uh, if you forget this horse's lone prior dirt try, it came going six furlongs, which this is a two-turn horse. Six furlongs, way too short for him. Forget last out because the turf course at Churchill Downs is so shitty. They literally just said we're not racing on it for a month because of how bad it is. Uh, this is a grade one winner going two turns. Beat one of the deepest fields, regardless of surface, that we've seen all year. Doesn't matter if it was on turf, on dirt, in America, internationally. That field that he beat, one of the best that we've seen all year. So you've got that going for him. The owner wants to put him at a grade stakes winner on the dirt. He targets this and says, look, if Hot Rod Charlie bounces, it's kind of wide open, which I think at that point I would agree it's wide open if Hot Rod Charlie bounces. And the damn side is not that dirt friendly, but it is two turn friendly. And he is a son of Spitestown. Spitestown can throw winners on literally any kind of surface you try and give it to him. So, uh, listen, it's, it's a stretch. It's Emma Jane Wilson riding for Roger Atfield at Monmouth Park. It's not usually a winning combination. But Mike Smith does Mike Smith things a lot, and he likes to do them at Monmouth. You remember what happened with Authentic, how he almost managed to lose the Haskell with him? So um, if you want to take a shot against Hot Rod Charlie, shoot for the moon. I'm shooting for the moon with a great one winner uh, on turf. I mean, I want a million dollars to fall from the sky and hit me in the head right now. Doesn't mean it's going to freaking happen, okay? Just because the owner wants a grade one winner on dirt doesn't mean you're going to win a grade one race on dirt. If if Joe Spite was actually good on dirt, this would not be the time that you see Joe Spite run on dirt. Like it would have happened earlier in the career. It would have actually tried graded stakes earlier in the career because often people would prefer a dirt horse over a turf horse. Yes, best best forms career. This is a wild stretch to me, man. Like I, I could see it, but I would need like twenty to one to use this horse. And I think probably going to go off as your second choice. I like over mind control. Yeah, I, I think people are going to really? think exactly the way you think. Because that's, well, that's dangerous. I, 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 we, who else is going to? All the money is going to go on Hot Rod Charlie here. That's the thing. Yes. It's the only horse that you can be confident. In. It's one of the main reasons why I don't think you should use it. Because I, I think Hot Rod Charlie is going off at one to five, and I, I would, I'd be willing to bet Hot Rod Charlie is sub eighty percent cranked for this race. It's just not the goal. It is not the goal here for Doug O'Neill. And so I, I would expect that you're going to see the goal is Saratoga. The goal is the Whitney, right? The goal is a mile and a quarter races. This is a get back, get right race after being international. And to have to win 80% of the time to single this horse to be correct in the pick four pool is wild to me. Um, might air. Could totally air. Probably your most likely winner. Just not, in my mind, an 80% winner. So that's why I just can't go there. But, yeah, I, I think Show Spike takes money. That race was very good to back on the turf. It was at the distance. I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if you see it take money. And, like, mind control is not that sexy anymore. Mind control was sexy for a while. Mind control not sexy anymore. I, it, the, the horse just does not get bet that often. That's true. I, I, I like him when he's in like those seven furlong races, and then that's usually when he decide. I know he won the neighborhood last year, but a lot of times those seven furlong races, you look back in his form, and you know, 2020 was a rough year for mind control going seven furlongs. Uh, Hot Rod Charlie, one last note about him. If this means anything in the world, if he loses, I'm sure this will be a big excuse for why. Um, he traveled without the coach. Lava Man stayed at Santa Anita. Usually when Hot Rod Charlie travels, Lava Man goes with him. Lava Man didn't go with him. So if he loses, it's because Lava Man just said he's not, he's not going to win, so it's not worth my time to travel. That's why. Yeah, either that or he's not fully cranked, one of the two. <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of the Magic Mike Show. Thanks for joining Mike and I to go through uh, the late pick four at It's All Stakes at Monmouth on Saturday, June 18th. Remember, it's the preview day for Haskell Day on July 23rd. 
And uh, we'll talk about the Haskell a little bit in a second here. Uh, we'll circle back to talk about those Pegasus horses. But, Mike, first, let's put our tickets down below in the uh, – did I not have the other ticket thing going the entire time? God damn it. Boy, rookie mistake here, Magic. Come on. All right. We've got our tickets down below here, Mike. I'll start with mine at 50 cents going 1-6 with – one two with one five seven eleven with three four for fifty cents. That's sixteen dollars. And then for a two dollar press, one six with the two with one five seven with three. That is a twelve dollar total. So twenty eight dollars is going to get me a little bit of fun here. Mike, go ahead. I'm just going to play one fifty cent ticket, and I'm going to try and beat at least three, maybe all four favorites here. I'm going to go one four six with two three seven eight with one five six seven with one seven. Uh, if we get this home, it's going to pay. It'll cost you $48. Uh, if you beat Hot Rod Charlie, it doesn't matter if you go short, short, short. It, it, hey, if that's what you want to do, just go like, you know, put favorite in the first three legs and then everybody but Hot Rod Charlie in the, in the last one there. Maybe that'll uh, still pay out well for you. Uh, let's real quick circle back. We've got this is the preview day for the Haskell and nine horses coming out of the Pegasus Stakes want to go to the Haskell. Mike. If what like what's the best case scenario for me? It's homebrew gets third. Like you know he can get third in the Haskell. I don't see anybody threatening the Haskell out of this group. Uh, homebrew could get second. I mean if Taba doesn't show up, uh, homebrew could could end up running second. I, I mean what, but what you need really is the, the setup here. I mean will anyone go to the Haskell? I think is the first thing. Yeah, obviously the winner will probably go, but like if it's not homebrew, I'm not sure anyone in that field can make any impact in the Haskell. Right. So to me it's it's how well homebrew shows up, and then that partially answers that question. Um, I guess if electability absolutely rolls, some people can make an argument that that horse is good enough. But like we talked about, the two races at Aqueduct for me are kind of throwouts there. So I don't think it's going to have a big impact here on the on the actual Haskell. Yeah, if, if electability wins, I think I'm just going to scratch every horse from this race for from here to eternity. It's like when uh, Lauban won the Jim Dandy as a maiden. I remember I just started following horse racing, and Aaron and Jared on Blinkers Off were like, worst race ever. Don't ever play any of those horses again. And I think they were like 0 for 16. Uh, for their next starts out of there before I stop tracking. So uh, one of those kinds of races. Uh, Dennis says he's missing the dudes who bet and uh, the mixed tag team wrestling shows. Aaron, see, we've got people. That, we have one person besides Magic who misses the wrestling show. Uh, so some NBA, NHL stuff tonight. Uh, that Listen, you were right about Colorado so far. They won game one. Holy hell, that was a game, though. It was a lot of fun, but Colorado dominated the first period. They looked like the significantly better team in the third period. Vasilevsky stood on his head in the second and third, and you got a fluky goal from Colorado, from, from Tampa, just like a seeing-eye single, basically, on the wrist shot to, to tidy up the three. I mean, I, I watched that game. I bet Colorado minus 190 pre, pre-flop. I bet them again minus 165 for the series as they, as they got bet down. I've got them minus one-and-a-half games for plus 105. I've got them minus one-and-a-half games for plus 130. I think they win it in five. You can get plus 300 on that right now. Um, you can get them minus one and a half games, minus 135. You can get them minus a goal and a half, plus 170 in game two. I think all of those are still have value. The, the, the minus game and a half, minus 135 is starting to slip away a little bit. Um, but I, I like watching that game reaffirmed everything I feel about Colorado and everything I felt about Tampa coming in. Tampa has a goalie edge. Colorado is going to consistently play in their zone and put pressure on them. And if Vasilevsky makes any mistake, it's in the back of the net, right? And that, to me, is what you saw in that game. And if Tampa was going to compete in this series, right, that was a huge game for them. McKinnon and McCarr had one point combined. They were averaging a little over three points per game combined coming into this series. So you had a down game from Colorado Stars, and you weren't able to get it done. You also had three power plays that two of them looked pitiful. When you are being pushed consistently like that, 
If you're not able to score with the man advantage when you have that two minutes of offensive zone time, it's really hard to beat Colorado. If you go back and look at St. Louis and when they were competitive, a lot of it was based off the power play. You need to get goals there. And they're the only person that's beaten Colorado this entire postseason, right? Colorado is now 13-2 and two in 15 postseason games. So it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, man. And, and the, the defense just plays so downhill. That's what makes it so tough. And it, like, I, there's something called Money Puck. If you go check that out, they have what they call expected goals. If you look at the expected goals chart, it's wild how many more Avalanche players had a chance at scoring a goal than how many Tampa Bay Lightning players did. And if you do expected goals, including flurry, and essentially the flurry is when you have those minute, minute and a half zone time, the expected goals go up in those, especially if it's back-to-back minute or minute and a half zone time, offensive zone time. And the expected goals have that game at 3.3 to 1.79 in favor of Colorado. So every statistic that I looked at that I, I generally look at have Colorado coming out of that game very well. I don't see why it changes in game two. They're going to play the same way. They're going to play downhill and they're more talented. Uh, yeah, Chris, I respect the back-to-back. I mean, they made it this far. Even if Tampa falters, the fact that you went back-to-back through the COVID year, their years, right? And then now you're to make it to this point, even if you don't win it. I mean, the run that they've been on, this is uh, – it's, this is, I mean, I mean, not to be a homer. This is the closest to the Red Wings dynasty of the late '90s, early 2000s that we've seen, and uh, one person involved with both of those, Steve Eiserman. Um, I think that the uh, I only got to watch starting halfway through the third of that hockey game, but great when game. I saw the shot differential, I was like, "Oh, this isn't good." And then I saw Tampa coming back. It's like great, and they go to overtime, and I was like, "If you're Tampa, you've got. If you don't win this, this series is lost because you're not winning Game Two the way Colorado's played against you this game, even from what I've seen." Uh, and then they did that. I was like, this is, you've got to go win two at home and then still win one at Colorado. It's going to be tough. But that overtime play, like and I was watching it, I was holding Colson. And, uh, when they scored the goal, as soon as Sergeyev swatted it and I saw it go straight to Colorado, I, I just went, oh, that's the game. And then yeah. I went one, it was like count to five. And there was the goal. And that's the, you were talking about Vasilevsky. If he makes a single mistake, he didn't make a mistake. The defender swatted it straight to the forward and Colorado goes, Oh, three on two. Okay. Thanks. Bye. And that's, they, they, the thing is they're rolling so much talent over in these lines that you can't do that with any line, right? Let alone the first line. You can't do that with any line and they'll put it in the back of the net. And Vasilevsky had no shot. It was just a beautiful one timer that was set up and it was, it was game over. Now game two is now a must win, right? And I think it's interesting. Money is coming in on Tampa. I, I like you can get minus one forty-five right now in Colorado in Game Two, plus one seventy, minus a goal and a half. Both to me are, are valuable. Um, I, you know, I have enough in the series that I'm not really interested in pouring more in the games. But the, the other part of this, and, and you know, Dennis brings up the minus one and a half. Colorado is one of the best teams in the NHL when the goalie is pulled. You pull your goalie in the Stanley Cup Finals with two and a half to three minutes left. If Colorado's up one in any of these games, it will either go to overtime or Colorado will score. And so, like that. Minus one and a half becomes even more valuable in my, my mind. That's awesome. And that's where Davis was going here. He says, uh, I've been blindly betting abs minus five plus whatever in overtime. Plus, if you were just a straight overtime plus whatever better in this in the playoffs, man, man. Not only as a fan are you loving it as a, as a better, you're loving it too. Uh, NBA, but- real quick. I got yep. one thing that I like. Um, I, I bet the Celtics before the series plus 130. So I, I will be rooting for the Celtics tonight. But one of the biggest trends in this series, and I think there's an actual factual reason you can back it up. One of the biggest trends in this series is the second quarter, the Celtics are 4-1 and one straight up and 4-0-1 oh against the spread. Steph Curry plays the majority of the first quarter. When Steph Curry comes off the floor, the Celtics generally have the next three best players on the floor. So when you get non-Steph Curry minutes, which generally start at the start of the second quarter, it gives Boston a huge edge. They're minus one tonight in the second quarter. I think that's too low. I, I, I've been playing Celtics second quarter. I'm going to play it again tonight. 
Uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot more talk on the uh, Blinkers Off, which will be live in just a little over an hour. If you're watching us live, stay tuned because at, uh, as soon as we end this show, it's going to segue straight into the premiere of Mike's Royal Ascot Day 4 preview coverage. And if you missed it at the top of the show, he did pick the horse. that it starts with a C. What the hell was the horse's name? Uh, now, you cool. don't... Play, play more? Claymore, Thank there it is. Thank you. Claymore uh, beat the Queen's Horse a 6-1 to one, uh, and very nicely done. So uh, you want to make some money at Ascot tomorrow, come check out that preview. Before we get out of here, Mike, this weekend, it is Father's Day. And then, of course, your birthday will be the show on Monday. So any fun plans this weekend? Uh, so parents are coming to town. Uh, just going to keep living the beach life, man. That's that's the big plan. I'm already getting uh, birthday hearts for the office here from the daughter. Aww. So we, uh, we're already getting the, the homemade presents in the game. And then, yeah, you just uh, it's going to be fun to be able to spend the weekend here. And I, I'd like... For everyone who doesn't know, we moved to an island, basically, um, and are, are loving the island life right now. So we're excited. Not to basically, you're sport. literally are living. Yeah, you're well, on an island off of Florida right now. Hundred percent, yes. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, I'm very jealous, uh, but it's something like I'm having a great time down there. Um, I will uh, don't live on an island, so but I do live in Los Angeles, Southern California. So we're gonna go to the uh, Channel Islands Maritime Museum over in Oxnard. Uh, nice. They have this big uh, classic car show. I'm like fully embracing the dad life now. Full, they got a big classic car show, <laughs> but it's on the big channel, um, yeah. like on the big pier. And then there's going to be a bunch of like street vendors. I just wanted to get the hell out of like this little – I've been in Sherman Oaks too much. So getting the hell out of here. And then on Saturday, weather and my health permitting, taking Colson to the track for the first time. San Anita closes this weekend. And, uh, yeah, I've got – I don't know if they let me back in with a press pass anymore. I haven't been there in a long time. So they sent me some free passes to show up. So Colson and I are going to go uh, – I don't know. It might be a quick trip. might be fun. But it will be a, a Colson and Daddy trip to the racetrack. So if you're going to be at San Anita on Saturday, let me know. I'd love to, to see you and hang out. I love it. You, when you have a kid there, you can definitely get a pair of goggles, so make sure you take advantage of that. Um, but from who? I don't even know who rides there anymore that's worth getting goggles from. Uh, Hernandez, man. I'm Maybe Rispoli? You know, uh, no, I, actually, I would go. I would, I'd, I'd try and get Rispoli, yeah. Uh, Rispoli. I have still Rispoli there. Um, oh! Uh, yes! 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 We're doing it! We're doing it! We didn't even, got, didn't even text him! I've got a very important question for you. I'd like very important question Okay. For you. First off, I'm, I'm wildly excited as well. I can't wait to see the cute picture of the two kids with the two fathers. Looking forward to it. Podcast <laughs> listeners, Dr. Tang and his daughter will be there on Saturday. That's why I'm freaking out. So if you have a kid and you're in L.A., you got to go to Santa Anita get the Magic Mike dad and kid photo. Um, so you had a motorcycle for a while, yes. right? Yeah. You love, you love, you're going to a classic car thing. You have a kid. You're going to have a midlife crisis. What car are you going to buy during your midlife crisis? That all, it, there's like a 99% chance it'll be a convertible of some sort okay. um, because I wanted a convertible when I, actually, when I had the motorcycle accident, I was like, I got to get a car. I wanted a convertible and I was, uh, I was told no. I was very strongly recommended no, I should say, by my mother-in-law who was like, well, you can't really have a convertible and then have like a baby seat. And I was like, looking back, I'm like, we didn't have kids for a couple more years. I could have still definitely done that, but whatever. Um, it's going to be a convertible. Beyond that, I don't know. You have any recommendations? Well, I had a convertible. Uh, I bought my first car I ever bought was with poker money. I bought in St. Louis when I couldn't drive stick. It was a stick shift car. Stalled it on the highway on the way home. That was fun. Uh, it was an MR2 Spider, spider, yep. spider convertible. Uh, I want to buy one again. I keep sending it every like four months to Jenna. And she's like, no, you, can't, you cannot buy that. There's no practical reason for you to buy that car. Uh, and shockingly, they're about practical. They're like they're like eight thousand dollars cars. I freaking love the thing. I, I loved it so much. It's a great car for me. Uh, I had a blast driving it around. I, I bought it in two thousand, I think it was. Um, 
<laughs> I bought it in 2000, I think it was, and I kept it until 2011, 2010, something like that. So drove the thing to the ground, but absolutely loved every minute of it. So at some point in my life, again, I will buy a 2000 Toyota Spider convertible. It was yellow. It was obnoxious. I, I had the, I, I was window down, but radio up all the time. It was amazing. Well, Dr. Tang says you can just drive it back and forth on the island with the top down all day. We were, we were joking about this. The island we're on is literally 12 square miles. You could drive up and down the island 30 times with one tank of gas. Uh, Chris wants to know if you're living the ferry life as well. There is a causeway that is expensive to get on and off the island, which, which motivates you to not get off the island. I've actually biked more miles in the last week than I have driven. Oh, speaking of motivation, it is a time for Mag- for Mike's, uh, for Mike's Royal Ascot Previous. So we're going to get the hell out of here. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Curtis Calhoun. He is at some of them, 18, number one, number eight. Our programs at racing underscore dudes. They'll be back for blinkers off at four Pacific, seven Eastern, six Central. So stay tuned for that. Enjoy the Royal Ascot show. Until next time, I'm Magic. And I'm Mike. Happy birthday, Magic. Thank you. Happy early birthday, Mike. Happy Father's Day, everybody. We'll see you next time. This has been a presentation of RacingDudes.com, your destination for all things horse racing and sports betting. Whether you want free winners, expert insider picks, up-to-the-minute trackside weather reports, or podcasts and videos for bettors of all skill levels, never make another wager without visiting the Racing Dudes 